0: Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have a guest on the show and I'm speaking to the binge eating dietitian who is Jo Moskalu. I hope I've said her name right. She was previously called Jo Maloka, but has married earlier this year during the pandemic. Now Jo is originally from Ireland, was based in Suffolk, not too far from me but has recently moved out to Boston, USA and Jo is a dietitian, She was working for the NHS, and I believe she is waiting to begin her work over in the USA at the moment. Jo is absolutely passionate about promoting an anti-diet message and supporting her clients to develop a healthy relationship with food and their bodies. So today I'm going to be talking to Jo about January, diets, binge eating, and all of that. Now, Jo also has a podcast, which is called The Binge Eating Dietitian, so do go and search that up. So let's get to the interview. I'm so excited to be talking to Joe. Hi there, Joe, And thank you for coming back on the podcast again. Hi, Harriet. Thank you so much for having me. So Joe, obviously you were on the podcast earlier this year, and that was a great episode. So if anyone wants to go and check that out, I will highlight that in the show notes. But Joe, since we last spoke, you have moved to Boston, haven't you, from Suffolk?
1: Yeah, what a move from the lovely English countryside to like this massive city in the States. Yeah, I moved two months ago. I actually moved on my birthday, which was quite interesting. And yeah, what a time to move, like right in the middle of a pandemic. But this job opportunity came up for my other half, and we just said, hey, why not? A change is always good, you know, refreshing. And I've always been interested in like, other cultures and how they navigate their relationship with food and now I have really good insight into how like the relationship with food is in Ireland and now I have some insight into the UK from living there for a few years so now it's time to explore what it's like to struggle with disordered eating in the States. Mm, yeah they got so interesting yeah because you've done quite a
0: lot of moving around haven't you yeah I'm an, I'm an expert on <laughs> moving as well it's yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you have a moving tips so just a question Jo actually on that when you're talking about like people's relationships with food between like Ireland and England and also the USA like are there any kind of like broad themes that you have recognized or identified from those different places
1: yeah there have been and say like on a day-to-day level, probably one of the biggest differences between the States and UK and Ireland is that in the States, it's compulsory for eating establishments like cafes or restaurants to put calories on their menus if they have more than 20 stores in the country. So, and not only is it written in small, small letters on a menu, it's right up there on the menu boards. So if you can imagine getting your like coffee and a scone or a muffin, it's impossible to miss it. It's Mm -hmm. impossible not to see it. So that's something that I found to be very different because in the UK and Ireland, you can avoid that to some extent. It's not everywhere. And usually it's not as profoundly written in massive Mm -hmm. letters, almost Mm -hmm. as big as the name of the food as it is here in the States. That's something that I think perpetuates a disordered relationship with food in people who live in America, unfortunately.
0: Mm, Sure. So have you noticed as well? I mean, I guess it's been kind of a strange time, the pandemic in terms of Mm -hmm. you being able to meet as many people as you would normally. But do you think there is a bit more of a kind of conversation around calories and things because of that information is so in your face?
1: Yes, I think so. I think so. And, you know, some have said to me that even though their relationship with food is rock solid and it's something that they never have to really think about when making food choices, when they see the calories on menus, they do feel encouraged to choose something different because of the calorie content. Mm. So not only is having calories on menus dangerous for people with a disordered eating relationship, but now it seems like it's having an effect on people who would describe their relationship with food as being rock solid.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting, isn't it? You know, because I guess as well, that kind of action has probably been taken with, you know, the aim supposedly of kind of benefiting people to make wiser food choices. But as we know so well, actually, it can, yeah, so often activate a sort of disordered relationship with food and really kind of increases that preoccupation and focus when you're like counting numbers.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when it is so blatantly in your face, it's not something that you can opt out of. It's something that will take a lot of resilience to not notice. So it's interesting. And I look forward to seeing how people in America do navigate that because, you know, as I say, it is so potentially dangerous for all people, not just people with disordered eating. Mm, Yeah, no, so true. And just
0: picking up on my earlier question as well, like looking at thinking about the differences in like Ireland and England as well, like, was there anything particularly apparent, like when you moved from Ireland over to England in terms of how people sort of navigated their relationship with food?
1: Good question. Between Ireland and England, one of the biggest things I noticed was that binge eating is still far more of a taboo subject in Ireland compared with the UK. We still have a little bit of catching up to do there and, you know, it has come a long way and there are developments in eating disorder services in Ireland, but unfortunately binge eating is largely left behind. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is, there seems to be more merit attached to the danger of binge eating and why it deserves a full MDT a full multidisciplinary team support from the onset whereas in Ireland we still have a little bit of catching up to do but we're getting there.
0: Mm, sure and no, they're really interesting actually just to kind of hear that there's sort of different approaches in all the different places so what's it been like kind of moving to a big city in the USA and, you know, in a pandemic?
1: How's that been for you? It's been great. It's been, you know, I feel so privileged to be able to do it. I mean, nobody's going anywhere right now. And it was a big shock when we found out that we could actually move here. So, you know, I feel just very blessed to be here. I'm just enjoying it right now, taking it all in. But of course, you know, COVID is still a very big thing in the States and, you you have to take a lot of precautions. So it's been nice to just spend some time in a new city and feel like trying to make it a a home because I am going to be here for the foreseeable. So it has been good, but I do look forward to non-COVID times when, as you said, I can go out and start meeting people and, you know, eating more restaurants, eating more cafes because that's not really a thing right now. It's all about takeaway, which is great because it's safe. <laughs> mm, but I yeah, miss that. They're... I like coffee shop culture. Yeah, sure.
0: So it sounds like, in a way, you haven't really got to experience it properly yet, have you? Not yet. Not yet. But yeah, let's be hopeful for 2021.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but also, Joe, I realise you've started your podcast, haven't you? And when mm-hmm. you've when you've been having a bit more time since you've been in the US.
1: Yes. Yeah, I have. So. I'm sure it's the same with you. I just was getting such an influx of messages about where can I learn more? Like I want to hear more on this subject and Instagram posts and some blog posts just don't really cover it a lot of the time. So, and I was filling up with all this knowledge of binge eating and I just felt I needed an outlet. So I said, okay, this is the perfect time to start a podcast. So I started it about a month ago at the end of November and anything that comes into my head about a problem that people with binge eating have I just get it out there I get it out of my brain into yours into the listeners to help raise awareness and continue to smash this taboo of binge eating that still exists unfortunately. Mm,
0: Well sounds fantastic and I'm sure loads of people will want to go and like look that up because I don't think there's that many binge eating sort of specific never say that word podcasts and out there.
1: Yeah, no there's not that many and I have to wonder is that because it is such a taboo subject still and people don't feel comfortable talking about it and even you may not feel comfortable somebody seeing that you're listening to a podcast about binge eating or sharing a post that I share on Instagram because my highlight that you are somebody who struggles with binge eating. But the truth is that it is the most common eating disorder in certainly in the UK, I expect in Ireland also, and it's something that somebody that, you know, probably is struggling with too. Mm, yeah. Well, no, it's so,
0: so true. And I think, you know, great that you're raising awareness and it's just about sort of reducing that shame, isn't it? And just so we can kind of have these open conversations um, yeah. that people feel they can talk about it much yeah. more.
1: Binge eating is such an isolating and lonely place to be. And it's only exacerbated by feeling that you're the only person in the world who's going through this when you're not.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely.
1: So one
0: of the reasons I've got you back on to speak today, Joe, is we obviously we're in January. It's that time of year when everybody's kind of going on a big diet or a wellness plan or vegan annual. Is that what I said it right? Vegan, yeah, vegan, vegan annuary. Yeah. So I just wondered first of all, like what are your thoughts at the moment about, you know, people going on diets and this kind of pattern that seems to happen this time of year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess we have to appreciate that there is a lot of pressure right now to go on something. And not only is it January, but it's also like a lot of places are in lockdown right now. And unfortunately, the quarantine 15 memes are still floating about that are labeling weight gain as being something that is undesirable and should be avoided at this time. So we have to acknowledge that there is a lot of pressure right now. And I can understand why somebody would want to start a new diet or a new eating regimen today or back on the 1st of January. But the thing is, dieting is something that I'm guessing you have tried before. And certainly for people listening to my podcast, if they're seeking support on binge eating, it's probably something that has perpetuated their binge eating as well. Mm -hmm. And so I always ask my clients to think about what dieting has served them in the past and what they have gotten out from it from previous experiences and to use their own experience to guide where they go from here. So one thing I really recommend is that if it's something that can't be continued for the rest of your life, consider not doing it. Mm. And that's where I guess January comes in because You know, Veganuary is extremely popular. It's been on the go since, I think, 2014. And I know in 2019, 400,000 people partook in Veganuary. And 37% of those 400,000 people reported that they were doing it for animal welfare reasons, which is a very valid reason. But 38%, so pretty much the same number of people, said they were doing it for health reasons. And... I have to wonder what is the benefit of doing a plan such as Veganuary for only 30 days. A 30-day regimen of Veganuary probably isn't going to benefit long-term health in any way. Mm. Yeah,
0: sure. And I guess with something like Veganuary, you are cutting out so many different foods Mm. to kind of follow that plan.
1: Yeah, exactly. So Veganuary is basically a very long list of foods that you can't eat. And even if you're doing it for animal welfare or you're doing it for health or for environmental reasons, you are handed a list when you decide to do beginnery of foods that you can't eat in that month. And it's not just animal products like meat, fish, eggs, cheese, poultry, all those more traditional animal products. It's also things like milk chocolate, marshmallows and even honey mm. so not only is it a whole food rule book it's also foods that you may have deemed to be foods that you enjoy and that you don't see any harm in because there's not any obvious link between these foods and animal welfare or environmental reasons that are automatically banned now as well hmm yeah, so it can be
0: extremely restrictive, can't it? And like I can understand maybe as well sometimes that people want to experiment or try something different. But mm-hmm. I guess as well, if you have any history of kind of disordered eating or, you know, any sort of struggles with your relationship with food, doing something like Veganuary, um, it's going to make you very vulnerable to
1: more disordered eating behaviours. Exactly. There is an identified link between veganism and vegetarianism and eating disorders. There was a study done in 2012 that found that 52% of participants with an eating disorder were also vegetarian. So there is a link there. It's not just something that is a plausible link. It has been shown in research. And there's a bit of an added danger there because veganuary is socially acceptable, whereas an eating disorder isn't. So for somebody who's feeling vulnerable to an eating disorder or has an eating disorder history, veganuary is a good way to hide under the cloak of doing something because everybody else is, Mm. when actually it is facilitating your disordered eating pattern. Yeah, and I think so true. And I think
0: as well, it's so important, isn't it? I think just to be really honest with oneself, because I think as well, people can sometimes embark on these regimes with kind of really you know, kind of quite rooted in values maybe about environmentalism or animal welfare, but it's got quite tangled up as well with their actual relationship with food. And I think sometimes perhaps one needs to take quite a kind of take a step back and just be really, really sort of reflect and be really honest with oneself about whether it's going to be a sort of useful road to go down.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. And only you, only the individual can understand their true intention And it's not something that they have to disclose to anybody else why they're doing Veganuary. Mm -hmm. But it's something that I would ask my clients and my listeners to have a good, honest word with themselves about why they are embarking on such, such a restrictive plan for
0: January. Sure. So where does like binge eating come into all of this then? You know, what's the kind of link between these restrictive diets and then binge eating?
1: I guess it's, on the most basic level, it's because something like Veganuary or other January diets that are popular right now are based on restriction. And we know that dietary restriction, so reducing down the number of calories and the energy intake drives this biological response to binge eating as a survival mechanism to make sure that you are able to function as a human and do all the basic human needs such as like even the most basic things like walking or sleeping or you know digesting food all of those things need energy and when we start one of these restrictive plans we are vastly reducing our energy intake and therefore the body responds with a response of binge eating to try and get the calories that it needs. Mm, Sure so it's like a big
0: kind of backlash isn't it I guess really against that real restriction So what is one, if someone's like this, listening to this and they recognize maybe they've been in like really restrictive eating pattern, you know, I I know we're early on in January at the moment, aren't we? So maybe the honeymoon period of the diets, but I'm sure there'll be many people listening that will already be falling into binge eating, understandably. What's kind of like the first baby step to begin to break that cycle?
1: So the first baby step, I think, is to take that step back and just to recognize if there is any restriction at play, and it can be, this can be difficult because when you're in this, when you're in this cycle of binging and restricting, or you're still in this honeymoon phase of a diet, and it feels like everything is going well, it's hard to see if there is any restriction. When you're in it, it's hard to see what is going on. It's only when some time has passed and some it's some weeks or months down the line that you can look back and say, actually, yeah, I was extremely hungry for that period and that's why I was binging when you're in it it's hard to see so I I would invite somebody just to take a step back and just to notice if they are trying to control their intake of energy calories or food in general and even if this can be as subtle as using my fitness pal and you've you're using a target that a target for calories that you feel isn't restrictive that it's something that you know people can survive on and something that is adequate for your needs. But that in itself is a form of control. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, we don't know what our energy needs are because they change from day to day. And sometimes we need less, sometimes we need more. Really, there's no way to know exactly what your energy needs are. So I would ask that person just to look at if they are imposing any kind of control on their energy intake. And if so, that could be one of the best places to begin with in terms of stopping binge eating.
0: Mm, sure. So just to start to really take a step back, have that awareness. And I think what's so interesting when you're talking there, jo, is is almost it can be quite subtle, can't it, sometimes? Because I think yeah. Often when you think of restriction, we think of the extreme measures of mm-hmm. living on you know, extremely small amounts of food. But I guess, you know, in reality, often restriction can be a bit more subtle, like we're kind of under eating kind of a bit, maybe every day. But that still cumulatively adds up to a lot and puts someone really in a state of deprivation and getting very, very hungry.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. It isn't just those really restrictive Diet plans that are going to cause binge eating at some point, and you know, bringing it back to veganuary, often people choose veganism because they think that, oh, I can eat as much vegan food as I want and I'll still lose weight because vegan food is naturally lower in calories. So even though you're not counting calories or you're not monitoring your food intake as much, if you're in an energy deficit, no matter from what you're doing, it is likely to cause binge eating at some point. It might not be today, it mightn't be tomorrow, but it might be sometime next week or the week after. But there will be that accumulation effect that you talked about.
0: Mm, sure. That's what I'm just sort of wondering as well about the kind of mental restriction of like, you know, when people are sort of eating they may be eating an adequate amount, but, you know, of an extremely limited number of foods. So they're kind of like really missing out on that kind of yum yum factor. And maybe there's a lot of guilt around eating certain foods. So could you talk a bit more about that and how it might impact binge eating?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So even just the the perception of being deprived or being restricted in some way is enough to cause that your body to have a backlash effect of binge eating as well. And you know, this is something that I guess it depends what stage of your disordered eating or eating disorder that you're you're at, but it is common for there still to be that list of foods that are banned and prohibited. And I wouldn't recommend that you go straight back and have them all straight away, but consider adding in one or two foods that have that yum yum factor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And will help to enhance the eating experience so that you don't have that feeling of gosh yes I'm eating now and this looks like it's a lot of food but it tastes so bland and it's not something that I'm really interested in and just having foods that you actually enjoy can be a game changer.
0: Sure I mean it's really funny isn't it because like saying it out loud it sounds like kind of obvious and so simple, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? You know, that we should be allowing ourselves to eat the foods that we enjoy. Yeah. But it's something that's so easily missed, isn't it? You know, because of so many rules, we've often eliminated all the things that we used to maybe really, really enjoy the taste of and that used to give us pleasure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I remember reading a study that estimated that about 45 to 50% of women feel guilty after eating foods that they actually enjoy and it's just it's a sad statistic but i can see why it is the case because you know we have all this outside influence on our eating such as like ads for like weight loss programs and you know instagram accounts where the people are completely have have like a ripped body and not an ounce of fat on their bones mm. and when we're taking in all that that's incongruent with eating foods that we enjoy. It mm-hmm. feels like there should be some kind of punishment that there should be something that if we are actually enjoying the food that we eat that something is wrong. Like that- mm.
0: yeah, it's incredibly sad isn't it that that's how mm-hmm. things are really, but it's not surprising when we you know, inundated with all these messages.
1: Yeah. And you know, if this is something that is resonating with your listener, I would say take a moment and just think about What foods you do actually like? And I mean genuinely actually enjoy. And consider writing them down somewhere. And if this is too difficult for you, because sometimes you have dieted for so long that you forget what foods you actually like, I would ask you to think about if this was your last day on earth, if the world was ending tomorrow, what would you like to eat?
0: Mm.
1: What would be your last meal?
0: Yeah, and it's such wise advice, isn't it, really? And it's just kind of kind of bringing you back to yourself and your self-trust, isn't it, in a way, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, because I guess for, hopefully for most people listening, they will remember a time as a child where they were able to just kind of eat the foods they loved and really enjoy them and look forward to eating specific foods. It's trying
1: to get back to that a bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If there's one time in your life where you can remember really enjoying food, then try and and link back in with that and see if there's any elements of that experience that you can bring forward to today.
0: my mm, great advice. Could
1: you say a little bit as well
0: Joe about carbohydrates and binge eating because mm-hmm. I know so many people kind of go low carb or try and cut carbohydrates out and you know obviously yep. that doesn't help with binge eating does it. But could you just say a little bit more from the dietitian's perspective?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, unfortunately, carbohydrates have become like the number one enemy, like the most wanted in the nutrition world. And it's not for any reason that is rooted in evidence. You know, carbohydrates are our primary fuel source. It's what fuels our brains. You know, our brains only can consume energy in the form of carbs, although our bodies have mechanisms to change other components into, into carbs as well. But Mm. when it comes to binge eating, it seems like carbohydrates are often the blame. And I have to wonder if that is again, just another concept that has come from diet culture without any actual evidence behind it. When we eat carbohydrates, carbohydrates is quite a bulky molecule. You know, it's quite a On a structural level, it's quite bulky. It holds a lot of water. Mm. So, when we eat carbohydrates, we do take on some water as well. And that's normal. That is just the way that carbohydrates are stored in our body. Mm. So, when carbohydrates are restricted, the water is often the first thing to leave our bodies. And that can illustrate to us in a big change on the weighing scales. Mm -hmm. When in fact, it's not that we have lost. Body weight or fat or anything else, it is just water weight. So, when people are feeling desperate and wanting to lose weight quickly, carbohydrates are often the first to go. Mm.
0: So, it's so seductive, isn't it? But do you think as well that the backlash almost with the binge eating can just be almost like multiplied when you eliminate carbohydrates, when you try, go on a very low carb diet?
1: I mean, yeah, I don't think this is written anywhere in research, but from anecdotally from my experience, I think absolutely, you know, it's, it's like that pendulum effect. And I'm sure that you've spoken about this before about when you, you know, when you take a pendulum, it naturally swings between one side and the other. And if you consider that one side is like low carb, extreme restriction, and the other side is like binge eating when you hold the pendulum over to one side, so you're holding it in a low carb, low energy area, when it slips, it's going to swing right back to the other side and going to be in a state of binge eating for possibly as long as you were holding it in the low carb for. And why that happens specifically with carbohydrates is is again, because carbohydrates are our body's primary fuel source. And we have these, mechanisms in our brains that when we eat carbohydrates we get a little bit of a dopamine hit and that isn't a bad thing that is there from our like going right back to the beginning of humanity and that's there to encourage us to eat so that we get our primary fuel source we feel a little bit good after it so it's a driver to eat so when that brain mechanism hasn't been activated because you've been doing low carb for a long time When you eat carbs again, it's likely that it is heightened to a greater extent until you become habituated and normalized to having carbs again on a regular day to day basis. I hope that makes sense. I always find Mm. the sciencey stuff can be hard to describe.
0: Mm. No, I think really, really helpful, Joe. And thank you for explaining that. And what as well then, Joe? as well about what are your thoughts on the emotional side of binge eating? Because obviously as well, you know, I would always say for people, step one is really trying to deal with more your hunger, your physiology, get your blood sugar stable, regular Mm -hmm. eating, all of those good things. But then often as well, understandably, people might still be left with some emotional kind
1: of binge eating, emotional triggers. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Again, I think it's something a lot of people are contending with right now, especially, you know, in the pandemic and I would always say to you know that it is okay to use food as a source of comfort but think about what else you can use as well think mm. about what other tools you have in your toolbox to make you feel better in those times that you feel just like food is going to be the only thing and that can be something as simple as you know watching Netflix or going to bed early or having a really long hot shower. And I would ask you to think about putting the two together. So instead of swapping food for something like a long hot shower, think about putting the two together. So having some food that you really, again, enjoy, genuinely like, and that you, that, that feels good to you, and teaming it with something else, like a shower, a walk, talking with a friend, getting an early night. And it's likely that when when both are put together in the same, when both are put together, they're likely to be more effective than just food by itself. Mm-hmm. Sure. So isn't that almost like when you're creating a new habit,
0: sort of like you're doing something and something else? But Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not mm-hmm. about swapping out. And I think, I mean, if you do feel like it's the best option for you to swap out binge eating for something else, I'd say, okay, that's, that's fine once that, that's a healthy choice for you. But for a lot of people, that's too much of an ask. So I would ask those people to think about what else they can put with the food so that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. You're not leaving it only up to food or for binge eating to make you feel better when you feel emotional. Mm,
0: Yeah, that's so true. Good advice. And I think as well, when you've been dieting, food kind of becomes like your number one pleasure, doesn't it? And the thing that you look forward to, the Mm -hmm. thing that you always turn to for positive and negative emotions. In a way, it's almost like such an inevitable outcome, isn't it, of Mm -hmm. dieting to use food emotionally?
1: Yeah. And I think if you believe that you have been restricting or you have been dieting or even just thinking about dieting, because we spoke about how the mental restriction is, is just as powerful. You know, think about leaning into all the foods that you want to eat over the next little while and don't berate yourself for that because that is just your body's natural response to the diet. It may be, and a lot of people will fight me on this, but it may be that there's actually no emotions at play here or, you know, emotions isn't the main thing at play here. It's just that your body needs to refeed itself from the period of dieting.
0: Mm, so. Yeah I mean, I think it's so true isn't it because I think we can get a bit tied up into looking for some deep-rooted emotional mm-hmm. reason but you know as we know from the Minnesota starvation experiment you know it's such a powerful thing isn't it when you restrict a human being of food all of these things these kind of disordered eating behaviors the preoccupation it's an inevitable outcome and it then I think the emotion yeah the mm-hmm. emotional layer it kind of gets intertwined but you know Basic 101, isn't it? Kind of is like eating regularly, trying to kind of restore the, you know, the balance and not be restricting (laughs) anymore.
1: Yes, that is always the number one step. And you know, people sometimes come to me and they say, I don't know if I need a dietitian or I need a psychologist or I need a therapist. And my advice there is that if there is some level of dieting or restriction, that needs to be fixed first fix that first before you diagnose yourself with some psychological or psychiatric condition. Do yourself a favor and heal your intake with food. Make sure that you're eating enough plus more sometimes for a sustainable period of time before you go and uh, diagnose yourself with some psychological condition. Yeah, no, I
0: think so true.
1: How do you think as well, like, Do you have any advice for people
0: who just find not dieting, like a bit of a kind of no man's land and a bit sort of Mm -hmm. vague and gray when they've been Mm -hmm. so used to like the defined black and whiteness of dieting?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think firstly, like it's okay if you feel even a little bit of grief when you leave dieting behind. For some people, this is a big part of their lives and their days are dictated by what food they've eaten and what food they're going to eat next. So to leave that all behind is, firstly, it's a big ask. And sometimes I think about to consider dieting as as a spectrum. And if it's too much for you to pull out of dieting altogether, to consider moving further down the spectrum, perhaps working more towards something like intuitive eating. And intuitive eating is a good place for somebody who's feeling lost once they give up dieting. Because although it's not rules and there's no right or wrong wrong way to do it. there are guiding principles that can just help you to give some structure to how you eat and give some guidance about your eating. but ultimately, how it works for you is how it works for you and there's no way of comparing it to other people. you know the outcome is not. The difference in weight or weight loss it's about giving you headspace so that you don't have to think about food all day every day anymore.
0: Mm, Sure you know it does provide doesn't it a really great framework really Mm -hmm. with some kind of guidelines but without it being strict rules.
1: Yes exactly and I think that's that's a good it's a good balance for people who have just come from diet land where like something like Veganuary where there's like a million rules And to go from from a million rules to zero rules can be quite frightening. So going to something like intuitive eating, where there are guiding principles, might be a a nice place to go and something that you you may be able to find peace with because it's not leaving you out there in the open to fend for yourself. You do have some support there.
0: Yeah, no, sure. Because I guess otherwise it it can be extremely daunting, can't it? Like in a way, if you suddenly remove dieting, there's a big void almost because it's given you so much kind of structure and focus you know to life
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and something else that might be useful there is to actually like draw out like um on a piece of paper like a circle as if you're drawing a pie chart and ask yourself what portion of that pie chart do you attribute to thoughts about food and dieting like sorry Mm -hmm. this pie chart is like your headspace it's what yeah it's to resemble what your headspace is and to give yourself a guideline of how much of your headspace is taken up by dieting. And for a lot of people, it will be at least 60, 75%. And then to do the same exercise, but to think about what you would like to spend your time thinking about, you know, and that's really one of the motivating factors for overcoming disordered eating and eating disorders is what else are you going to get out of life? What else are you going to be able to think about? Perhaps that could be concentrating on hobbies or going back to college, or, you know, spending more time with family and actually been able to be present. So for somebody who is feeling void, because they have left diets in the past, think about what you want to replace that with. And by filling up your headspace with other things, like hobbies or family or schoolwork, whatever you have going on, it can almost push out the thoughts of dieting. Once you've made that decision that you wanted to leave dieting in the past, mm, yeah, so helpful, isn't it? I
0: mean, it's kind of getting back to your sort of values, isn't it? And like mm. the things in life that inspire and excite you. And because I think for most of us, it, like when we're hopefully 90 and on our mm-hmm. or older, <laughs> on our deathbed <laughs> looking back, it's not really going to count that much for how much we weighed on the scales or how thin we were. There are going to be so many other things that are way more important.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And if you are feeling now that you want to lose weight and you know, you're not happy in your body now, don't put off life waiting until you get to a point on the scales that you're happy with. Live that life now and your weight will take care of itself. It will find its natural set point weight. It's weight that you operate best at. And that might be the way that you are now. It might be that you have to gain some weight to get there. It might be that you have to lose some weight to get there, but your weight will sort itself out.
0: Mm, so true. So, and Joe, do you have any kind of, you know, just talking from your own experience in recovering from binge eating as well, like mm-hmm. what would you say has been your kind of like your number one kind of breakthrough or thing that really helped you? I mean, I'm sure there'd be many, but do you have a number one that sticks in your head?
1: I guess whenever any new diet or a plan or regimen that comes along I have to just you know stay firmly rooted in my knowledge that no diet no weight loss plan is ever going to help my relationship with food and you know I always say to clients that I just when a new diet plan comes along I just watch it and I just observe it and I kindly just wait for it to pass by and to go out of fashion and for something else new to come along it's okay to observe that you know diets are out there and you can be interested in them and you know want to know more about them if you want but you don't have to ever act on them and it's that knowledge that no diet is going to help a relationship with food and certainly no diet is going to help with overcoming binge eating hmm
0: sure so it sounds like for you in a way like you can probably even momentarily be seduced by the thought of the diet but in a way you've done with you know you've done enough work to realize I cannot go down that road and almost kind of observe yourself being a bit seduced but knowing that you're not going to leave your healthy relationship with food recovery recovered lane
1: exactly and you know that says something if you know me dietitian nutritional professional Mm -hmm. is tempted well I think tempted is too strong but sometimes I guess intrigued by new diets like some of them can be extremely well marketed that they don't even come across as being a diet and you know there's there's plenty of them and actually this is another difference between UK and Ireland and the States is on TV here there are a lot of ads for weight loss clubs Mm. And some of the really popular ones, and the way that they are marketed, you would never think that they are targeting weight loss. You know, they're very wellnessy and you know non non diety, very all about like improving health, holistic. But then you see that what the little brand logo is, and you're like, oh, hold on, this is definitely diet. So you know it, it's okay to sometimes be intrigued by diets, but. I think my number one advice to be would be just to hold firm how you're eating now in a way that you're not binge eating and you're not dieting. That is the best way of eating for you, even though it may not be as glamorous as some diets out there, you know, not as glamorous as veganuary because it involves meat products or animal products. It is the best way for you and it is the healthiest thing for you. That's very important to remember. Mm,
0: sure so it's just really isn't it staying like rooted in your relationship with food being the priority isn't it and not being like you're saying like some of these other kind of diet plans all kind of seem a bit kind of glamorous and maybe a bit Mm -hmm. kind of sexy and intriguing and all these kind of promises but actually working on your relationship with food that is the thing that's going to be kind of with you for the long term and it's sustainable and actually is going to help probably much more with your mental health as well
1: Yes, exactly. And, you know, there is a big difference between starting a new diet and seeking professional support for something like binge eating. And, you know, say like professionals like you and me, like we're not glamorous. We're not like portraying some kind of ideal on social media, but that is because we are rooted in realism. We know what is realistic and we understand that that kind of facade of diets being like glamorous and you know something that's gonna like change your world yeah it will change your world but it's not because it's going to change how you look
0: yeah so true so true isn't it mm-hmm. and I think it's just worth remembering isn't it that behind those photos often you know people are already sadly struggling with their relationship with food you know I've definitely worked with quite a few people over the years that have a very outwardly kind of fit kind of coping presentation and promoting and various sort of ways of eating but behind closed doors it's very very different
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely and as well you know a lot of photos could be altered and edited I guess that a lot of them are and you know it's when I first learned about photoshop I thought oh but I'll be able to tell the difference between a regular photo that hasn't been touched up and a photoshopped photo and once you actually see what can be achieved on photoshop it's mind-blowing it's something that to the untrained eye you definitely can't see the difference between so just to be aware of that that the photos that you're seeing probably are edited to some extent mm, sure yeah absolutely
0: worth remembering isn't it yeah oh any sort of what, what would be a sort of final takeaway message joe as well like for people listening what would you say like your little kind of golden nugget to take away at the beginning of 2021 <laughs> In terms of your relationship with
1: food. I I think because it is January, because a lot of people are feeling pressured to do something like Veganuary and, you know, there's a lot of diet chat out there. I'll bring it back to what I said at the very beginning is when you're faced with making a change, just think about, is this something that you can do for the rest of your life? Because Mm -hmm. if it's not, then that means at some point down the line, you are going to be in the same position that you are now. You are going to have to stop that behaviorist stop that diet plan and you're going to be perplexed and confused about where to go next. So if something is not achievable for the rest of your life, I would ask yourself, what is the benefit of doing it for a short period of time? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Wise advice. (laughs) Thanks.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you again, Joe. so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a great Mm -hmm. conversation and I think, you know, so many brilliant sort of tips for people to take away.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me, Harriet. Yeah, it's, it's great just to keep talking about binge eating, you know, keep getting it out there that it is something that a lot of people are struggling with, but unfortunately isn't talked about in the same degree. Mm. So th- thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Joe.
0: So I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Joe's details in the show notes. So if you're not following me already, do seek me on Instagram at the Eating Disorder Therapist and If you are interested in improving your relationship with food, I now have online courses which are available, which include how to stop binge eating in the pandemic and also 10 steps to intuitive eating. Plus I have a free course, which allows you to dip your toes into intuitive eating and see if my approach might work for you. So all information about these courses can either be accessed from my Instagram bio. So that's at the eating disorder therapist Or alternatively, you can go to my website, which is theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.